Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 24 is our Old Testament reading. Verse Kings 18, 20 to 24, we're actually going to read uh, verses 36 through 39 as well. Beginning at chapter 18 and verse 20, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will call on the name of Jehovah, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's a good idea. Verse 36, the time of the evening sacrifice Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18 is our text. Revelation chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. And I saw another beast coming up out of the land, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the land, and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which, he has, which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. 
And he provides that no one will, will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number of that man, uh, for rather the, the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. So we turn to our psalm of preparation, 437 in the Trinity hymnal, O God, to us show mercy. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for its excellent greatness. We praise you, O Father, for the revelation that you've given us, for the bright light that it sheds abroad in the world and in our hearts. And we pray that you would shine upon us now, O Lord, by the Holy Spirit's illumination by your 
search lamp, O God, your search light, the one who pierces our hearts with light, would you cause your word to come forth in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power, both in its preaching and in its hearing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 12 begins the fourth of seven cycles of visions in this prophecy. Chapter 12 is a dramatization of spiritual warfare. It shows how the great red dragon, Satan, failed to destroy the male child, Jesus, and that now the devil vainly rages against the church in anger over his inevitable failure. Though the devil has been defeated, he nevertheless has uh, been given uh, the opportunity, the ability, the permission to oppress the saints and wage war against them. Chapter 12 and verse 17 says, Chapter 13 explains in further detail the nature of Satan's persecution of the church, describing the agents through whom Satan executes his persecuting will. These agents are the demonized political and religious powers of the earth, whom the devil uses as his instruments to attack the church and to deceive the ungodly. The first ten verses of chapter 13 contain significant allusions We saw last week to Daniel chapter 7 where the prophet sees four beasts arising from the sea representing the four great great world empires, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Because Daniel 7's fourth beast, Rome, and Revelation 13's Uh, beasts from the sea share uh, a number of characteristics, Uh, it becomes evident that this beast from the sea in the first 10 verses of Revelation chapter 13 is the Roman Empire. It's clear uh, if we have any Old Testament sense at all that uh, this uh, beast, this beast from the sea, This one who persecutes the saints, this is uh, the Roman Empire. He has, uh, this beast from the sea has uh, ten horns and speaks uh, just like the beast, uh, uh, the fourth beast in in Daniel chapter 7. He speaks arrogant boasts and and blasphemies. He's uh, the Roman Empire, Satan's demonized political agent. And our text today presents Satan's demonized religious agent, the beast from the land. Our translations uh, say the beast from the earth, but this is better translated the beast from the land. In chapter 13, believers are warned to be discerning about falsehood 
not to participate in false worship propagated by the devil and his worldly agents in order to persevere in the faith. That's the theme of this 13th chapter, and we'll deal with these uh, the last half of this 13th chapter in two sections. In the first place, the identity of the beast. We want to know who this beast is, the beast from the land, and secondly, the mark of the sea beast. So chapter uh, verses 11 through 18 uh, alternate, and it's, it's uh, references to uh, these two beasts. It's, it's it's introducing to us another beast coming up from the land, and it's alternating in, it's, just, it's also uh, uh, making reference to the first beast as well, uh, the beast from the sea, the Roman Empire. Now this is a, again, as I mentioned last Lord's Day, this is, uh, this is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, chapters in Revelation to understand. Its, symbol, its symbology is, uh, is, is thick. It's, uh, it's, it's not easy to wade through. Uh, why is it important that you understand this difficult chapter? Why is it important that you understand Revelation? Uh, and why is it understand, uh, important that you understand this, this difficult chapter in, uh, of Revelation chapter 13? Because the symbols of Revelation lead us to theology and Christology, and because, in particular, this 13th chapter teaches us in symbols that we are in a spiritual war. We should be waking up every day of our lives aware that we are fighting a spiritual battle. We don't, and we're often asleep at the wheel in our spiritual pilgrimage, but nevertheless, we ought to be aware that we are fighting against the devil and his agents in this world. Let's dive into this passage. In the first place, the identity of the land beast in verses 11 through 15. The identity of the land beast. Here in verses 11 through 15, John describing this vision that he has seen to us mentions distinguishing features of the land beast that enable us to identify it. It comes up out of the land, arising from Israel, from the land of Israel itself, rather than from the sea or across the sea, uh, the Roman Empire. Verse 11, its appearance is like a lamb with two horns, but its speech is like a dragon, verse 11 says. Later in Revelation, the land beast will be called the false prophet. Notice here that this trio of the the dragon, uh, the beast, and the false prophet are mentioned 
uh, Revelation 16, verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. And then in chapter 19, uh, in verse 20, we read, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. That's a reference to this beast from the land. So the beast is called the false prophet. The beast represents the false prophets of Judaism. The Jewish false prophets had the appearance of a lamb, as Jesus had warned his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but, are, but inwardly are ravenous lambs. As the false prophet, the beast rising up from the land, appeared as a lamb, but in reality, he was a wolf like uh, who spoke like a dragon. How does Satan, the, the dragon, speak? He uses deceptive speech. He uses seductive speech to draw God's people away from the faith. He's a liar. He's a slanderer. He's a blasphemer. That's what uh, we read uh, about the dragon in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down and he, accuses, he who accuses them before our God day and night. The one who deceives the whole world, chapter uh, verse 9 says here in chapter 12. And the book of Acts, of course, uh, records many instances of the Jewish leadership's false witness uh, against Christians. We won't take time to look at those, but if you know your Bible, uh, and if you don't, uh, you ought to go back and read the book of Acts and see how many times uh, the religious leaders are bearing false witness or all falsely prophesying against God's people in the book of Acts. The Jewish religious leaders, symbolized by this land beast, join forces with the sea beast, the Roman Empire, in an attempt to destroy the church. That's exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts. Jewish religious leadership in collusion with Rome, uh, with uh, Roman procurators, with uh, Roman prefects, uh, local leaders of uh, the Roman Empire, colluding with uh, the Jewish religious leaders uh, to, to attack the apostles, to seek to destroy the apostles. That's what happened uh, in the case of, of our Lord, of the, the false prophet, the Jewish Religious leaders colluded with Pilate to destroy the Messiah. As the first beast is the agent of the dragon, so the second beast is the agent of the first beast. Apostate Judaism 
became completely sub, uh, subservient to the Roman state. This is emphasized in uh, the vision to John in that the land beast exercised the first beast's authority in his presence. He's under the first beast's authority, the false prophet, the, the Jewish religious leaders, apostate Judaism. They are under the authority of the beast from the sea, the Roman Empire. This is in direct contrast uh, to uh, what we read as we, as we see this prophet uh, exercising the first beast's authority in his presence. In verses 12, repeated in verse 14. This is in direct contrast to the function of a true prophet who stood literally before the face of Jehovah in God's presence, under his Authority. That's what's said of Samuel, 1 Samuel 1, verse 21. That's what's said of Elijah, 1 Kings 17, and verse 1. The true prophet lives in God's presence. He takes orders from Jehovah. He does his pleasure. The false prophet stands before the beast as his servant. And that such a thing could be said of the religious leaders of Israel, the people of the covenant, shows us how far they had fallen from the faith of their fathers. Verse 12 also says that the land beast, the false religious leaders of uh, Israel, the false prophet, led Israel in worship of the uh, emperor, compelling the land and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. A counterfeit, we said, of Christ's resurrection. Interestingly, it's the resurrection of the sea beast it's given in verses 12 and 14 as the, the, the reason for the worship of the first beast, the worship of Caesar, the worship of uh, the emperor, just as Christian worship is ultimately founded upon the resurrection of Christ as a proof of his messianic character and office, 1 Corinthians 15, the counterfeit resurrection of Rome served as a false testimony, their proof that Christ was not the Messiah. So then, whereas the first beast is a counterfeit Christ, we saw that last week, he imitates Christ, the second beast, the beast from the land, is a counterfeit prophet. Verse 13, like Elijah at Mount Carmel, this false prophet calls fire down from heaven, verse 13.
But he uses this wonder not to promote the worship of the true God. Rather, he uses it to promote the worship of the first beast, the beast from the sea. He didn't do what Elijah did. He didn't look to the heavens to call down fire so that God's people might know who the true God was, that Jehovah was the true God. He did. Uh, he rather called fire down in order to promote the worship of the false beast. This false prophet, like the Egyptian magicians who managed to simulate a few of the wonders that Moses did, a few of the testing, uh, the testing signs that, that God gave to Moses. This false prophet presents wonders to lead God's covenant people, Israel, astray after the sea beast. Jesus, you remember, had prophesied that this would happen in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. He described the, the first uh, this period of time during the first century depicted in this vision here in Revelation 13. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many, Matthew 24, 11. And false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, Matthew 24, verse 24. The book of Acts records several instances of miracle-working Jewish false prophets who came into conflict with the church and uh, its apostles. Significantly, one of those is mentioned in uh, Acts chapter 13. Here, uh, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary uh, journey. They've just been. They've just been uh, had hands laid on them, just commissioned uh, to go and preach the gospel. Uh, and we read here when they came to Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Verse five, chapter thirteen, verse five, and they also had John as their helper. When they came, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came. Uh, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar Jesus, who was with the proconsul, the regional Roman ruler, Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence, and this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Again, the, the vision to John underscores the apostate condition of these Jewish prophets by observing that they perform their wonders in the presence of men, verse 13, and in the presence of the first beast, verse 12, rather than in God's 
presence. The perversity of the religious Jewish leadership is such that it commands those who dwell on the land, verse 14. It commands the Jewish people to make an image of the beast and manages by its magic arts to impart breath into the image so that the idol becomes the means by which the sea beast utters its blasphemous, boastful claims to divinity in verse 15. This expression of idolatry creates an illusion that seems to refute the parodies that we read of false gods, of idols in the Old Testament, it's, it's an, which are exposés of idolatry's emptiness. For example, Psalm 115, verse, verses 5 and 7, they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And here's an idol that the religious leaders of Israel compelled God's people to make who is speaking and who is speaking blasphemies. So much then for the identity of the land beast. The land beast represents the false prophets of Judaism who are agents of the first beast, the Roman Empire. Uh, Secondly, then, I want to see the mark of the first beast, the mark of the sea beast here in verses 16 to uh, 18. These wonders that the beast from the land performed, whether achieved through collusion with the demonic world or through the arts of illusion, are directed towards satanic ends. They are designed to delude the Jewish people into receiving the sea beast's mark of ownership and to kill those it cannot deceive and force them into submission. Verses 15 and 16 say, uh, The mark of the beast like the seal of God applied to the church, Revelation 7, verses 1 through 3, wasn't a number stamped across someone's forehead or even uh, on their right hand, but rather a symbol of the beast's ownership and control of his followers' thoughts, forehead control of his followers' deeds, right hand. So we're not to imagine here uh, someone with a a tattoo on their head, uh, uh, the number 666 on their head. We're not to imagine uh, some modern interpreters of of Revelation uh, say some some chip inserted into uh, the right hand, under the skin of the right hand, that identifies this one as having... Uh, the mark of the beast so that they can scan it at, uh, and, and make purchases at, uh, at the grocery store. Now, we're, we're to understand that 
that John, uh, that Revelation is a symbolic book, and 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 John is speaking here uh, in this vision, and it's a vision of symbols. And these symbols, this particular symbol, the mark of the beast, is designed to represent uh, the sea beast's control, his authority being executed in terms of thoughts and in terms of deeds. Immediately after this discussion, here in chapter 13, the discussion of the sea beast mark, the sealed army of God reappears in the company of the Lamb, their champion, chapter 14 and verse 1. And the seal that they receive is interpreted as having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. You remember that God commanded his ancient people, Israel, Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, to tie God's law on their foreheads and tie God's law on their hands in order to signify that their thoughts and their deeds were in submission to the word of the Lord. And now the sea beast, the first beast, assisted by the second beast, the the land beast, the false prophet blasphemously demands the world's universal allegiance in thought and in deed. And the degree to which the Roman Empire, assisted by Jewish religious leaders, asserted its control over its subjects is evident by what we read in verse 17. No one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. The Jewish synagogues enforced submission to the emperor, organizing economic boycotts against those who refused to submit to Caesar as Lord. The leaders of the synagogue forbade all dealings with those who had been excommunicated from the synagogue, so far as putting to death those who did. It was clear to the original readers of Revelation, in verses 1 to 10, as it should be to modern readers, that the sea beast was the Roman Empire. And now, in verse 18, in John's commentary, the vision provides the reader with an identification of the sea beast, of the first beast, is very, in a very different form. Here in uh, Revelation verse 13, verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number of, is that of a man, and his number is 666. Corporately or generically, 
The sea beast is the Roman Empire. Specifically, verse 18 says, the number of the beast is that of a man. And that number will naturally represent his name. He provides, verse 17, that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. By calling the beast's number the number of a man and inviting the reader to calculate, to do the math and calculate the number of the beast, John is inviting the reader to identify this man. So we're not peering into mysteries that we not, ought not be prying into here. We're simply doing the math and calculating the number of the beast. That's what John is telling us to do. So we make this calculation. We should bear in mind that the Arabic number system, so familiar to us, was unfamiliar to the ancient world. It was actually imported into Western culture in the 12th century. Before that time, alphabets served double duty. They, were, uh, they weren't only alphabets used to form words, uh, but they were numbering systems. Each character of the alphabet was assigned a number. Furthermore, in our quest for the identity of the man who, who has the, the, the name, uh, whose name has the value of 666, we must remember that John was a Jew and that he was writing about God's judgment upon the Jews. In addition, we must, uh, once we recognize that Revelation uh, is the most Hebraic book in the Bible, the most uh, Hebraic, rather the most Hebraic book in the New Testament, uh, containing many visual images uh, and symbols uh, from the Old Testament. It's reasonable to, to assume that Hebrew is the base language for calculating the beast's number and identifying the man associated with it. The first century spelling of Nero Caesar's name is the equivalent, uh, in the equivalent Hebrew letters, is calculated to equal 666. The beast, in its corporate sense, in its institutional sense, the beast from the sea is the Roman Empire. In its uh, individual sense, it's the, the emperor Nero specifically the Emperor Nero. And so John's prophecy can shift back and forth between them, between the Roman Empire and, uh, and this individual uh, who represents the beast. Both Nero and the Roman Empire engaged in degrading and degenerate activities. Nero certainly fits the description of the beast in Revelation 13.7. It was given to him to make war with the saints 
and to overcome them. Nero. We know, we know some things about the emperor Nero, about his behavior, uh, some of which are not fit to repeat in polite company, let alone in the preaching of God's word. But Nero, we know, used the bodies of Christians burning at the stake as the original Roman candles to light up his garden parties. Nero, who launched the first imperial persecution of Christians at the instigation of the Jews in order to destroy the church. The sea beast and the land beast are agents through whom Satan executes his persecuting will. These agents are the political and religious powers of the earth that the devil uses to persecute the church and deceive the ungodly throughout the generations of the church of Jesus Christ. At the center point of this book then, John sees visions that reveal the conflict that manifested itself in the struggles of the seven churches of Asia, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, other first century churches, and our churches today. Why did the church in Smyrna face opposition from those who say they are Jews but are a synagogue of Satan? Revelation 2. Verse 9, why did the church in Pergamum face social and economic pressure from the cult of the emperor where Satan's throne is? Revelation 2, verse 13, why do churches today in Sudan and China, India, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, and many other places suffer persecution? Why does the church in Europe, North America, and elsewhere languish in the midst of economic prosperity? Because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We are locked in mortal combat against an enemy whose strength and cunning are intimidating. A dragon with seven heads and seven horns. And yet our great enemy has been defeated decisively by the one who came in weakness, the son of a woman, the man-child, the lamb of God whose blood overcame the dragon on behalf of all those who hold to the testimony. Of Jesus. Yet the dragon, although thwarted, defeated, hemmed in, prevented from devouring uh, the, the male child or drowning his mother in deadly lies, isn't dead. He's still active. His time is short, and in this short time, the dragon unleashes his agents political and religious powers 
of the earth against the rest of the woman's seed, the church. The Roman Empire has successors that seek to coerce the church and threaten violence against her. Institutional religion is uh, far too often uh, plays into the hands of the state justifying its aggression against those who will not confess we have no king but Caesar. Through John's central vision here in Revelation, we've glimpsed the deep spiritual struggle that lies behind history's surface events, the combat between the woman's son and the dragon, between Christ and Satan. We've seen that the dragon presents, the dragon's present aggression expressed in the beast's violent force and the prophet's lies is no more than his frustrated reaction to his decisive defeat and his rapidly approaching destruction. So we're given these insights through symbols in Revelation into this cosmic war, a war that began back in the garden in that in the first announcement of the gospel, it's clear in, in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the serpent will bruise the head of, uh, will strike the head of uh, the woman's seed, but the woman's seed will crush the head of the serpent. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, can meet the dragon's worst, anything that he throws at you, with the endurance of the faith that undergirds our souls as victors through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you for the insight that you uh, give to us concerning our spiritual warfare. We thank you, Lord, that what you did in logical discourse through Paul in Ephesians 6, what you did through Peter in 1 Peter 5, warning us to be armed against the, the spiritual forces that oppose us in this world, the wicked spiritual forces that are aligned against us. So, Lord, you've given us symbols here to, again, awaken us out of our stupor as we lead our daily lives to make it clear to us that we are in a spiritual battle and that this spiritual battle entails our eternal destiny. 
We pray, O Lord, that you would make us vigilant, make us more vigilant to understand the devil's ploys in the church, in our families, individually, and the way the devil works in the governments of this world, uh, and even through uh, religious institutions to carry out his persecuting will. We ask, O God, uh, that you would help us in this way, not to sleep our way through life, uh, as though we, weren't, we hadn't been called into uh, the army uh, of your, uh, your saints militant here on earth uh, until we reach the abode of the saints triumphant in heaven. And give us encouragement, O Lord, in what the book of Revelation teaches us about our victory in Christ, uh, that we overcome through the blood of the Lamb. And we pray, O Lord, that you would protect us by that blood from the wiles of Satan. Protect us, protect our children, and our children's children throughout many generations. And O Lord, even as you have said, continue to build your church. Help us to participate in the building of that church, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our concluding psalm is 115C. Let's stand together as we 